We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. NBA most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep. This is, despite my upbeat cadence, this is probably our most somber episode of the season. I'm here, as always, at least on the good days with Rohan Kadi, to talk about the Bucks' Christmas Day collapse. The Bucks and Bucks fans get a lump of coal from Santa Claus on Christmas Day and get beat down by the Philadelphia 76ers. The final score doesn't look as bad. Philly winning 121 to 109, but this was a lopsided affair until that fourth quarter where Milwaukee played pretty well. Until then, Philly outscores the Bucks in each of the first three quarters, especially a brutal second quarter with the Sixers win 31 to 18. Rohan, how are you holding up? Did this ruin your Christmas festivities if you celebrate Christmas? Uh, no, I mean, like, it was it was obviously not very fun to watch, but it's hard not to get caught up in the holiday season. I hope everyone, all your listeners, are having a great holiday season. It's, you know, nice time of year. But yes, this was this was the worst game of the season for the Bucks. Yeah. And it was it was not pretty. And uh, let, let's 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 get into it. Yeah. So we have a special premise we're going to do for this episode because um, I think it's it's hard to just break it down like a normal game because clearly something in the air was just going right for the Sixers. Um, Philadelphia, well, we'll uh, let me not spoil it. So the, what we're going to do is Rohan and I are going to go through some key points, key takeaways, key events that unfolded in this game and decide if we're buying or selling them, i.e. are we believing that they are real or are we selling them as sort of a fluke or something like that? So 
I think it's pretty obvious how, how this is going to work. So let's just dive right into it. First thing, Rohan, are you buying or selling Philadelphia's very hot outside shooting? Uh, I don't have the full game numbers up in front of me, but I want to say the Sixers shot close to 50% from three-point range. It was uh, a ridiculous performance, a ridiculously good performance for Philadelphia. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they were, it felt like they were just they they set a franchise record for three pointers made. I believe I've seen that on Twitter. I'm not sure if that's accurate. Or it was not. 21. Shot, yeah, I'm 21 pretty sure. for 44, 47.7% from the field. I know it was certainly I think the it, best they've yeah, done. Yeah, I think it was a franchise season. record. It would make sense because teams just don't teams just never shot like they do now from three. But yeah. Yeah, it was. They were just raining down every time the Bucks seemed to like maybe get a little momentum going. They would just roll off another three, and there was that stretch where Furkan Korkmaz just could not miss a shot mm. to save his life. Where you, it's like the Bucks were starting to push back a little. I think that was like what the third quarter. Yeah, third and, and fourth quarter. I think he hit a couple as well. Yeah. As did Tobias Harris. Yeah, he went four for five from three. Korkmaz did. Tobias Harris five for seven. Just uncharacteristic shooting from the Sixers like you're not gonna get that sort of production from them on a normal basis what do they they average what did they average, they average 11 made threes a game on the season <laughs> and they, and they made 21, 21. yeah they I think I saw th- I think in the first half they had more than their average for a full game mm-hmm. they really did they almost I think they had 10 made threes oh, and a half okay. or something that might have been it and they average 11 for a game they average 30.2% or sorry 36.8% from 3 compared to the 47% they shot against the bucks so i am selling hard on that that is not going to happen again i agree i'm selling as well i think that you know the bucks were not good, as good as they should have been in rotating and getting to some of those open shooters i know i saw an eric names uh postmortem athletic piece George Hill talking about a lot of times the Bucks stalling out on offense led to some good threes for Philadelphia on the other end. I think that's true. I think generally in games when you don't play offense well, it's really, really hard to defend well. It's just the other team gets so many good looks over and over again. It just becomes so tiring. But I'm selling as well. I think even giving up some good looks, and not all of them were good looks, especially in the fourth quarter, which we'll get to later. I mean, Korkmaz and Tobias Harris were making ridiculous hand-in-the-face all the way guarded threes, and it really just beat down any chance the Bucks had of making a comeback. And I think Philly might shoot well from three in a, in a playoff series or later in the regular season against this Bucks team. I mean, the Bucks so geared to take away the inside shot that some of those threes are going to happen, but I don't see a performance like this again, this, this coming again was, anytime soon. It was everyone, like Embiid went three for six when he's shooting 30 three percent on the season yeah. like it's just ridiculous al that horford is, didn't make a two but was three for seven from deep 42.9 percent. my goodness it was yeah that's not happening again not even close no I, I don't think so either so we're both selling there so then i i didn't outline this as a point but what about the flip side i mean i just think we should we need, we need to acknowledge it. i don't know if we're buying or selling but the bucks also shot pretty pretty strong from deep not as ridiculous as the Sixers, but Milwaukee cans more than 39% of their triples, 13 for 33. And really, the percentage without Giannis would have been really good. Uh, the Greek Freak goes 0 for 7 from three-point range, which was a huge bummer after his uh, massive three-point outburst against the Lakers. Do you think the the Bucks were shooting better than, than they usually would from three? I mean, I know percentage-wise they were, but just from looking, did it feel like Milwaukee might have also been a little unsustainably good? 
Not really. They average uh, 14.3 made three-pointers a game, so they were below average. So, I mean, it's like it's within like the standard error, but yeah, it's. I think I think you can do better because you can have like hot shooting nights, obviously, like the Sixers did, but not to that necessarily like that extent. But I can still see them shooting better, especially because they couldn't get any sort of rhythm on their threes. They were sporadic. They were just all over the place. They were never like runs where like the Sixers had where you can just get three after three and sort of get into a nice rhythm. They never the Bucks could never get that. So while they may not put up like insane shooting numbers in terms of like makes, they can still get into a rhythm and break down teams like the Sixers did to the Bucks. Absolutely. Um I agree. I don't think this was crazy good. I mean, George Hill's three for three, which is obviously very good, but I mean, he's leading the NBA in three point percentage. So I don't think it's that unrealistic to expect George Hill to make some threes at this point. Um, I spoke about Giannis already a little bit, a bad shooting night for him, really a bad all around game for Giannis uncharacteristically in 30 minutes, which is a good amount of minutes for Giannis this season. He puts up 18 points, 14 boards, seven assists, one steal, one block, three turnovers, 8 for 27 from the field, that's below 30%. 0 for 7 from deep. 2 for 4 from the charity stripe. Bucks are a team low. Oh, no, not team low. A little worse with Wes Matthews, but negative 18 in Giannis's 30 minutes, which is very uncharacteristic. Uh, we we know Giannis has had some back soreness throughout the season. That's been on the injury report a couple of times, even if he hasn't missed games. I know the uh, ESPN, I believe, or was it ABC? This was ABC, wasn't it? Yeah. ABC broadcast. Yeah, based I mean Disney. Um the broadcast before the game was showing he was sort of talking about his back, saying like my back is tight before the game. Um so I'm not sure how much that contributed to his game, if anything, but are you buying or selling Giannis's bad game against the seventy sixers with the caveat of maybe he's feeling that tight back? Okay, like first we do have to give our credit to Joel Embiid, who is fantastic as a primary defender. We will get there, Rohan. We will okay. get there. That's I know. Another point. That's it's a little. That's it's fair, a little though. It's, it's fair. a tease. It's a tease. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. true. You're 100 percent right. Yes. Joel Embiid was terrific. Yes, but uh, I was looking at the tracking stats from this game. Uh, Giannis shot four for 16 on uncontested field goal attempts. Oh, 25 percent. He shot. 34 for 11, 36.4% on contested field goals. So you cannot expect Giannis to miss this many layups, who is the most dominant uh, paint scorer in the league. Like It's it's just not happening. Again, this is this was a weird game. It was uncharacteristic. He's just missing bunnies. It was, it was weird. He was getting like a good shots. He was getting like some good hooks. He was getting to the rim, but he just couldn't finish. And once he started off the game not finishing, it was just... He could never find himself getting into a rhythm, and it was just it was done from there. Especially when he wasn't hitting his threes. Yeah, I think it all played into itself. I mean, uh, I, I certainly didn't expect Giannis to go zero for seven from deep. I know I was advocating for him to keep pulling him. I, I'm not the I don't I really don't like writing off a player's performance to injury because I'm always sort of you know unless you like have a noticeable limp or something like if you're out there you're out there. I mean you're playing you're on the floor. You deserve to get criticized. That said, I mean, we've seen Giannis miss some layups from time to time, as improbable as it seems. I mean, it happens. Every player is going to miss, you know, some kind of shot with some regularity, even the the very best in the world. Did it look to you like he was a little bit off? Maybe it was injury. Maybe it was just an off day. I know Giannis 
I mean, the Bucks typically don't do well in in afternoon games. I know Giannis loves his pregame nap. Obviously, you can't really get that oh, those, with the, those famed with Sunday matinee tip. games I, in Dallas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with all these things contributing, it's fair to say Giannis was just off, right? Yeah, it was. He didn't. It didn't seem like he was mentally necessarily in the right space. Because usually, when like we saw in the matchups against the Sixers last year, he wanted to kill like the Sixers and yeah. did. Like, he put up, like, what, 52 and 45 in the two um, really good matchups against the Sixers. Um, Yeah, he just seemed off. He didn't have the right mentality. And honestly, I think it might be partly because of the back injury because it's been lingering a little bit. And have you, I don't know if you've, yeah, you've definitely noticed this. Like, it's just, he doesn't seem, he seems more reliant on his jump shot, which is weird and very strange for Giannis. He does not seem to be trying to take the the pounding of the uh, paint scoring. Like, he's trying to avoid that necessarily at all costs, and he seemed a little hesitant to do it in this game against the Sixers again. There was one of the bunnies that he missed where, and it probably happened more than once, but I remember one specifically sticking out in my mind where I think he had either, like, thrown a defender back or kind of gotten around somebody. So basically he has the rim. And he kind of goes up and lets out this like half floater, half layup thing that ends up rimming out. And I just couldn't understand why he didn't dunk it. I mean, that's Giannis's MO is he gets down there and he gets some space and he dunks it. Yeah. That's like, that's what he does. And I just wondered like, is he like, is it more exerting than usual? Like is something going on? Like I didn't, I didn't understand. It didn't click in my brain why he wouldn't flush it. So certainly I thought something was off. I would say selling as well. I mean, hopefully we're going to knock on wood here as, almost a tradition in the podcast that this isn't something that's going to linger with him for a while. Hopefully a little bit of rest and the Bucks do get a bit of rest around this Christmas game can kind of cure him of this, this back, whatever it is, tightness or whatever. But it certainly did not seem like the hundred percent. And like you said, full throttle, you know, pedal to the floor, Greek freak that we've seen against these 76ers. Yeah. It was yeah, what you were saying about like not dunking it. Like that struck me too. Cause yeah, like you said, he usually just goes up and he wants to like end careers and he just, he didn't have the killer mentality. That's all I can really say. And if we know anything, cause what does this matchup matter for? It mat- matters for the playoffs, right? He's going to have that mentality in the playoffs, whether he's like injured or not, he's going to be giving as much effort as he possibly can. So I don't think we necessarily have to worry about that down the road. Absolutely. So Especially both, like oh. because they got smoked in this game. Like next game, it's just going to be, he's going to be going for their throats. 100%. So we're both on board saying we're going to sell Giannis being this bad against the 76ers team. Mm-hmm. With the caveat of Joel Embiid being terrific. And it wasn't next up on my little list here, but we'll skip right to it. Joel Embiid was an absolute force. I mean, he was very good on the offensive end for sure. Embiid ending with 31 points on just 21 shots. Like you said, three for six from deep. Really nice game for him scoring-wise. And he only comes away with two blocks and zero steals. But I think to me the real impact Embiid made on this game was on the defensive end. I almost can't believe that he didn't have more than two stocks. All the shots he disrupted from Giannis and other players, but really chiefly, Giannis. He was Giannis's primary defender. He refused to come out of the paint, and Giannis not being able to hit threes really made that easier for him. But when Giannis was straight line driving at Embiid, it was not going well for Giannis. I mean, when this guy is set, he is so, so good, so hard to dislodge. Do you buy or sell Embiid being that good at A, defending Giannis, and B, defending the rim in general against this Bucks team? 
I think I'm going to buy that. He's just, he's taken like another level defensively. Like he was saying um, post game, whether he wants to be the defensive player of the year, he's showing it. Like he has been like this entire season, he's just been a monster at the rim. Like no team has been able to necessarily get going at the rim against the Sixers team because they have Joel Embiid, because they have Al Horford, because they're so big. You just can't do anything. But Embiid has definitely, he's just been insane on the defensive end. I'm buying that. I'm buying it too. I don't know. See, the thing is I'm buying it with a caveat. I'm for sure buying he can be that good around the rim. And this is going to tie into another point. But and I, I want to stay on this a little bit. Embiid deserves a whole lot of credit. You know, I saw, you know, as fans of teams want to do after their team gets humiliated, like the Bucks did get humiliated on Christmas Day. This was a huge Sixers win. They deserve a victory lap. We certainly would have taken one if this the opposite had happened. So good for the Sixers. I can't wait until the Bucks come back and, and absolutely smack Philly in their next game and in the playoffs. But... Uh, MB deserves credit. Like it wasn't, it wasn't all bad calls or whatever. I think some calls went both way. MB ends up with five fouls at home and, and has to sit out a lot of the fourth quarter. But he absolutely terrorized around the rim. Giannis cannot find consistent success just driving at him. Like there needs to be more than that. There clearly does because there's a lot of players in the league where you know the Bucks can just kind of do that. Just say Giannis. Go get us some points. We don't really need to rely on doing much. You can just go get us a bucket. It's got to be more complex than that when the Bucks attack the 76ers, literally, uh, in their defense because Embiid's too good. If you attack him when he's got his back to the rim and he's standing still, you'll get a foul sometimes. You'll get a bucket sometimes. More often than not, it's going to be a turnover, a block, a missed shot, and you're just wasting possessions. And really, you're wasting Giannis's energy as well because that's taxing and tiring to go up against a guy as big and strong as Embiid is. So I think uh, I, I buy it too if we're talking Embiid gets to stay in his comfort zone. I think what needs to happen the next times these teams play, especially in the playoffs, but in the regular season too, I'm not I'm not a proponent of like keeping something up your sleeve. Like I think you should just go out and win with whatever you want to do and not worry about the strategy of like hiding your hand or whatever. The Bucks need to figure out more ways to get him out of his comfort zone defensively. There was way too much going right at him. I don't think that's the way. So that kind of segues into our next one. Are you buying or selling? Uh, well, we'll start off with, I'll say bad, a bad game plan against the 76ers that I don't think, the Bucks did not look prepared for Embiid and, and the team to defend the way they did. Do you think that's something that will change or that we could see more of? Ah, this is tough because what's the thing that Bud has a reputation for? Just not change, whether it's fair or not that he does yep. have that reputation. We did see some adjustments like in the game plan as this game went on. Like especially on the defensive end, we saw the Bucks switch to zone defense in like the second half. Um, but just like on the offensive end, we did not see really much change at all. We saw just straight line drives from Yannis, which is weird because we didn't, we've, it seems like we've gone away from that. Like the Bucks have gone away from that in at least like the last like 20 games. Early in the season, they seemed to have that problem. And that's when they were giving up big leads and stuff because the offense was going stagnant. But it just, it seemed like they went back into their shell in this game offensively because they just, I don't know, they didn't really get creative with their offense. They wanted to be like, um, Mono Imano isolation scoring like Giannis specifically and they just they couldn't really get anything going in terms of like sets or getting uh, 
like they didn't really run much Giannis Chris pick and roll. They just didn't, I don't know. They didn't really do what they have been doing. No, I don't think they did either. And I think it was noticeable like right after halftime. And I don't know. I, see, the thing is, we, we, we don't know, us two specifically, especially because we're not there. You know, we're not talking to these players and, and coaching staff. We're not getting these answers. But it seemed like there was a little bit more of a focus on the Giannis, uh, Giannis Chris pick and roll right after halftime. I felt like I saw it ran a few times in a row and it was sort of working. And then again, it just kind of goes away from it or something else happens that makes it not possible to be ran. Like, you know, neither Giannis or Chris being on the floor for a kind of extended period of time for an all bench lineup. We'll get there in a second, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, not being prepared enough as a coaching staff. I don't know if some of that is Giannis really trying to impose his will and just prove he can, beat Embiid straight up like that certainly could play a role I think it might Uh, because they take these matchups personally oh yeah for sure especially Giannis and Embiid I would say and sort of Simmons more than anyone else yeah it's it's weird we didn't see much of Giannis going at Simmons it was mostly just Giannis and Embiid well I think the Sixers kind of tried to keep away from those uh oh yeah because that's easy money for Giannis yeah he's an effing baby but um I am I, I'm worried I almost have to buy the Bucks not coming in with a cohesive game plan and sticking to it just because this is what we've seen before. I mean it was my first reaction was to say, Oh well, if the Bucks come back with a better game plan, this could be a lot different. I mean, having more players screen for Giannis, because if you think about it, or Giannis screening for, for guards, because if Embiid's not gonna follow him out of the paint and Giannis screens for Chris Middleton or George Hill or even Bledsoe when he's healthy. And we should mention Eric Bledsoe missed this game as well. I mean, obviously that matters too, but I mean, that's just, that's injuries that happen. I'm not going to dwell on it or say that would change everything. Mm. Um, but Giannis screening for those guys, if there's no defender there and Giannis sets a good screen, which we know he can do, although he definitely moves too much. I think if he wasn't the reigning MVP, he'd probably yeah. get a lot. Yeah, I was noticing that He needs to clean up his screens. His screens yeah. are, are rough, man. Those are, yeah. those are some like bogut like just walking while screening, which you really want to avoid. Ah, <laughs> uh, Steve Kerr is salivating. Oh yeah. Oh, don't, let's not even talk about Andy Vergeau. But, uh, but Giannis screening for those guards uh, and, and Chris as well is more of a forward. But if Embiid's not there, those guys just get an open runway around the screen. And like, that's just for those guards who can hit pull up shots or Bledsoe who's so dangerous when he's uh, on the run. I mean, that's a nice lucrative runway for the Bucks to take advantage of. If, that the Sixers are going to keep Embiid so far back. I mean, just the game before the Sixers-Raptors, it kind of reminded me of the same thing because um, Toronto was playing a, a drop, a set drop defense, or I'm forgetting the right terminology, but like a drop defense with their center far back in the paint. And the way Boston adjusted was to screen for Kemba Walker basically near half court, like at the end of the logo mm-hmm. at in center court. And Kemba was just walking into these wide open pull-up threes, and he was really able to hurt the Raptors. Yeah, they were That's going the, like 15, uh, like 16, 17 Rockets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just keep generating those looks over and over again. And if you have the shooters and, you know, the Bucks might not have James Harden or Kemba Walker, but Chris Middleton can walk into threes very comfortably. George Hill, we've seen him walk into contested threes very comfortably. And other players, like I think Wesley Matthews could do this as well. And these could be dribble handoffs or screens set that far back. But use Giannis as a screener more in those situations. And then the defense either picks, either Giannis gets the ball and rolls to the rim toward Embiid anyway, which is what the Bucks were going to as their first option, or a good shooter gets a, a relatively open walk into a pull-up three. So 
I don't know. I just think more of that kind of stuff, and we just really didn't see it. We just didn't see the the counterpunch to what Philly was doing, and it did remind me of that Eastern Conference Finals that we ended up there coming was, back to so often. There was so no crea- creativity. No, not at all. And like well, the Bucks are at their best, and this is almost seems counterintuitive, but they're at their best not when just Giannis has the ball over and over again. That is not peak Bucks. Peak Bucks is when the ball moves. That's when Milwaukee is really at its best. When that ball is zipping around and finding open shooters or finding cutters, which we didn't see nearly enough of in this game either, or finding Giannis with some space. Yeah. That's really how you weaponize a player. We we know at this point in time from watching great offenses like those middle of the of the decade Spurs and the more recently those Warriors teams that were so good. You move the ball to find the best shots and you combine that with the superstar players. That's how you really become untouchable on the offensive end. When the Bucks do that, I really do think they're an untouchable offense. They did not come close to that in the 76ers game. And it was very disappointing to see just a lack of a cohesive offensive strategy, in my opinion, mm. anyway. It's going to be tough, though, against these Sixers, especially because they're so long and they're so big. Like, they shut down a lot of passing lanes, cutting lanes. But I do agree with you. If you can get going, then you're going to have the defense in recovery mode, and it's just over from there. Yeah, definitely. So... I guess we gotta we gotta get down to it. Are we buying or selling this kind of this not not adaptive, or adaptative, and not sort of uh, ma- like sort of matchup attacking game plan? I'm leaning buy, but I might stay. I'm gonna Am I buy it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it until I'm proven wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. gonna buy it until that's proven a, yeah. otherwise. Yeah, that's fair. I'm a little a, hesitant to just go full buy because I do believe that they can mix it up a bit because they've been doing it for the past 25 games. Yeah. but And it's like some of the Brooke Lopez stuff we've seen as well, which was, again, very much not what we saw last year, but that switch up, that other thing you have to do. Ooh. That was, that ah, was a good sign Forget Brooke well. Lopez. Robin Lopez was cooking Embiid. Yeah. I'm going to buy until I see proven otherwise That's in fair. one of these big games. That's but fair. I do think... I think we. I think the chances are better than last year that there's there's more mm-hmm. variety. To but we it. do we do need to see it. We do need to see it exactly, especially against this team. Which, I mean, it's it, this right is the up team there. that matters. Yeah, it's one of the three teams who I think could really really beat the Bucks in a in a seven game series. The other two I think are are both in L A. Um, so then the other half of the coaching thing I wanted to talk about um, these all bench lineups that we just keep on seeing oh and we God. saw again. Uh, for extended real minutes of play, I think we got George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Kyle Korver, Ursan Ilyasova, Robin Lopez. Um, actually, Pat C ends up with plus three somehow. Everybody else far negative. Aside from Sterling Brown, who only played the fourth quarter and was a plus 15. Shout out to Sterling Brown. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think we have to buy this, right? Like We see yeah. it, I think, literally every single game. Yeah. My question is why specifically that lineup it's only that lineup. There's no like deviation from George Hill, Kyle Korver, Pat Connaughton, Urzan, and Robin Lopez. The only deviation is some like if Dante's not starting, sometimes Dante will be there for Korver, but that's about it. Yeah, but like yeah, now since Dante's would start, it's just been that. But like, why not? If you're gonna go an all bench lineup, why not throw like Sterling Brown in there? Why not throw I don't know, just anyone else? Switch it up a little bit. Like, I know this is a weird complaint to have, but like, just just throw Wes Matthews in there. Have a starter in there. If you're going to have a yeah. starter, put Wes Matthews instead of... I, I just think... I don't know. 
But yeah, no, those those lineups are trash. They have been trash the entire season. They're there to buy minutes for Giannis and Chris Middleton, even though they could be stagnated and actually have like, you know, get the same amount of rest. But apparently that doesn't matter because you can just throw out these trash lineups. And you know what? They were trash. They played terribly. They were no sort of offense, especially against a defensive-minded team like the Sixers. You have to have someone who can break down the offense. No one can do that, really, in that you're lineup. Just, you're asking way too much of George Hill. Yeah, you're George asking George Hill, like Hill to be like, everything on offense because no one else can create their own shot. No one. No. Unless you no, have Robin Lopez not. just posting up Embiid, which actually worked, which is weird. Um, but, yeah, that's it. You have George Hill who can come off screens and can hit threes. And, I mean, sure, he's really good. He can run it off. It's like a bench unit, and he's been doing it really well all season. He was decent. Uh, he was good. Yeah, he was good. But just why? I just don't get it. We've seen time and time again that these don't work, yet we keep seeing it. I'll be more concerned if we see it even still with Bledsoe back, because this is something I've talked about going back to last season and the first episodes of the Eurostep. You need to have, like, all three primary shot creators should not be on the bench at once in a competitive never, game. Never. And I think like it's sort of it's almost it's a very, very light and not nearly as as important to the team's identity version of the Simmons Embiid crisis, I guess you'll say, where like Embiid is better optimized without Simmons and Simmons is better optimized without Embiid, but like they're both they're two of your best players, so you make it work. They're your two best players if you're Philly. For the Bucks, like I still think Eric Bledsoe is probably at his best with a better shooter in place of Giannis, and Giannis is at his best with four shooters instead of three shooters and like a sometimes shooter in Eric Bledsoe. So I've always thought staggering those guys made so much sense. You can keep the ball in one of their at least one of their hands throughout the entire game. And I like I just think Bledsoe George Hill backcourts would make a lot more sense than those no Giannis, no Chris minutes, if you insist on having them for whatever reason, even if you're not gonna run a good amount of Giannis Chris pick and roll. But yeah, I, with Bledsoe out, I'm a little less likely to jump all over it. I still don't like it. I mean, I, I would in this game with with how serious it is. I just I don't know why. And it's I mean it's December, but it's a a big matchup. I don't know why you're not more insistent on just playing the key guys. I mean, Brett Brown goes nine deep in this game overall, and I don't know how many of those minutes came in the fourth quarter or not. But I mean, not a deep bench there. Three of the Sixers' four bench players combined to make three field goals. The other was Furkan Korkmaz. But the Bucs are just, they love to smash that button of the all-bench lineups. And it's just, I think it's just going to drive everyone crazy forever, especially because... They 10 deep in the first quarter. They always do. They, people I just, people are tweeting I me like, did the, why are the Bucs, why do the Bucs have an all-bench lineup? In the, and like They just do that. They just do that. We don't really know why. Yeah, I don't know. I guess... I guess we do have to sort of realize that this is a regular season game. It is. Yeah, and so, like, while Philly made it seem like it wasn't, and it didn't feel like one, and it was a big matchup, I don't know. The thing is, we've seen these in the play. Whatever. It's it's just going to happen anyway. I would sure like to not see him as much. And what really I wouldn't either. crazy <laughs> is everyone's favorite bench player, DJ Wilson, doesn't even get in on the action. Nope. Even though he had uh, last time against... Philly, he was actually really good. You could use more long athletic players against this team. That's one thing Philly has in spades. But um, yeah, we gotta. I think that's another one for now. We just pretty much have to automatically buy that we're yep. gonna see all these bench guys. Yep. Straight. All buy. right. We're it's gonna be, be rich. A, up a that sad stock. buy. Yeah, that's well. I think I think everyone has a lot of shares of that stock. Um, 
So this is a, a kind of a difficult one to, to put in this context specifically, but we got three quarters of Chris Middleton being utilized, like Damari Carroll from those good Hawks teams where Ooh, like, like either that. he got a nice catch-and-shoot three or that was about it. Like We didn't see a lot of Chris Middleton. And then we got a fourth quarter of incredible Chris Middleton where he was running the offense in some non-Giannis minutes and some non-Embiid minutes as well, but he did play... Embiid did play five minutes of that fourth quarter. Middleton plays eight minutes in this fourth quarter. He ran a lot of pick and roll, took a lot of shots, and just was very aggressive, which we've seen off and on from him this season. So in those eight minutes in the fourth quarter, Middleton was a plus five. He scored 13 points on five for seven from the field, three for four from deep. A little unsustainable there, but he's a very good shooter. Two rebounds, three assists. Again, like I said, effective running that pick and roll. No one thinks Chris can do this. I really think he can. Even Chris if he's is not like the fastest player. Chris is the best passer on the team. I wouldn't say. I don't know if he's the best passer who's better than, overall. Who's better than Chris? Well, I, I guess I don't really have an answer straight up for you. He's a good passer. No, but no, no turnovers yeah. in, in that minute with a lot of a lot of controlling the ball. I mean, seven shot attempts, three assists, no turnovers. I just like which which I don't know which one to buy. Because all of me wants to buy aggressive Chris. Like I, and I'm not saying, can he be that good when he's aggressive? I think clearly he can. I think he's definitely talented enough to. Are we, I guess we're buying either that we'll get more of the Chris being used as 2015 Damari Carroll, which I think is a big-time bummer and an absolute waste of his talent, or are we buying Chris being this aggressive pick-and-roll weapon who can make his own shots and can actually make something when the Sixers take away pretty much everything else. I think I want to buy because we've seen in the big moments like playoffs, we've seen that Chris shows up. We've seen that Chris just absolutely dominates, especially against Boston in the playoffs, which is so much fun. Um, but it's interesting because, in, correct me if I'm wrong in this, but a lot of the Chris-like um, explosion came with Giannis on the bench. Yeah, a lot of it did. Yeah. So it was just like it was just him and it was no one else, which which goes back to our previous point about staggering Giannis and Chris. When the ball is in his hands and only his hands, and he's the primary creator on offense, he just he does this. This is what he does. He just dominates a game. He scores a bunch of points. He can pass the ball. He sets up a good offense. And yeah, otherwise he's just sort of going standstill to Mari Carroll mode, like you said. Which I you know that's a really good comp. Um, I, I was feeling it at first. I was thinking Corver, then I was like, you know what? Really, it's more like Demari. Like they don't even, they don't even feature him as much as they featured Corver running off screens a lot of the time. It's really just like there's these long stretches when Chris is on the floor, and he's really just like maybe he gets a play ran to get a three pointer. Otherwise, he just does not feel as involved as he should be. In no, my opinion, it's just he's waiting to get set up when he's when he's sharing the floor with like Giannis and Bledsoe. But then when he's on his own, he sort of. He sets other people up, and he sets himself up, and he can be super aggressive. And we've seen this entire season, this entire like career, we've seen that when uh, when Chris is aggressive, good results happen. Absolutely, and I think this is. I, I feel like we've been pretty blaming of the coaching staff in this podcast. I think some of it is deserved, but it's often it's often easy to sort of be an armchair coach evaluator or whatever. Uh, I'm sure Jeff Van Gundy will yell about this for five hours on a. a Coaches have never done you. anything wrong in their never entire once. lives. Never once. Not made a, a single time. Nope. But, but I, I do think part of this is on Chris as well. I think Chris needs to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I know last year he lobbied to to get some of his mid-range shots back. I think the Bucks are better when he's diversifying his shot diet more and allowed to take those kind of looks. I think it's kind of a, 
a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B thing. But I think no matter what happens, assuming that the Bucks don't go get Drew Holiday or whoever else, or maybe even if they do, they need a more involved, aggressive Chris Middleton throughout the whole game. Because I think it changes things when you have multiple players. I think it makes things easy for everyone else. You get multiple players who can go get their own shot. And now the healthy Bucks. You obviously have Giannis, who sort of can, sort of can't. He can because he's so good, but he doesn't. Not in the traditional ways. Chris is really that that top guy who should be able to pull up from anywhere and generate instant offense. Who should be able to be a terrifying pick and roll proposition with him and Giannis. We didn't see that play nearly enough. And I know the Bucks aren't going to run pick and roll every trip down the floor. They're not one of those teams. They're a motion offense, but I think it still needs to be worked in more. There just needs to be more Chris Middleton. It just needs to happen. And I do think. Part of it is on him. He needs yes. to go get the ball and score more, for sure. I'm a huge Chris Middleton fan, but I'm not denying that. But I think that together, the two parties, the the, the rest of the Bucks, the coaching staff, whatever, and Chris need to come together and figure out how to get him a more consistent role as an attacker because the Bucks looked way better with that happening than with either Giannis line driving, which I, I'll never get over hating that, just there's better ways to use Giannis, or like, Pat Connaughton doing Pat Connaughton stuff, which works once every 10 games, but not so well in the other nine games. Yeah. No, I think the Bucks are trying to walk a fine line between system and stars. Yeah. And if they, they sort of haven't found, like in this game specifically, they didn't find that balance. And I think they haven't found that balance in general yet, which is... No, I think there's some examples like the Clippers game. I thought was better. The Clippers yeah, the game, Clippers Chris game ended was up getting more better. touches. Yeah. And, and Chris and Giannis shined in that game, and they, they outplayed their counterparts. But they need to they need to get better at it. I think with uh, in the playoffs, with everything on the line, I, I don't think system alone is going to get you there. And that's sort of related to the last, the last one I have here. Um, buying or selling role players outside of George Hill, who I think should now at least be considered for sixth man of the year. I still don't think he's ever going to score enough to win. I mean, the Clippers, one of the Clippers guys will probably get it, probably Montrez Harrell. But I think he should He's not a bad choice, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> totally deserving. Scores a ton. Totally crucial to their team. Love Trez. Trez is awesome. Um, but should at least get considered for six yes. man of the year. But I'm the captain of that. You are. I'll, I'll, I'll cede that to you. But the question, buying or selling the rest of the Bucks' role players, so... Wes Matthews being the, the one starter who had considerable role player, kind of Brooke Lopez, and then everybody on the bench. Uh, I don't know. Like, do I think they can play better? Yes. Do I think that they have a super high ceiling to sort of, sort of you know, dominate a game? Not necessarily. I, do, I don't think you can necessarily get worse than what happened. You know? <laughs> Fair. So, I mean, obviously the only way to go is up. But, I mean, that's tough. Because this is a good bench. This is a very good bench. There's very good basketball players on this team. So when they are all playing and they're all sort of reading each other and sort of finding finding their way in the offense and playing good defense, yes, they can do really well. It's just they need they don't have enough shot creation on their bench, which shouldn't be a problem. Okay, we're... Uh, I, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give myself a headache just talking about that, uh, but I don't know. There's not a lot of yeah. There's not a lot of shot creation besides George Hill. No, there's not, and and I'm buying it. Like I think they can be better too, and I think there's gonna be you're gonna get those games when Pat Connaughton scores twenty and is like four for six from deep. Like that stuff happens. But the reason it's a bench and the reason that like these deep bench teams usually don't do that well in the playoffs is because you can't rely on those players to do that. No. If you could, they would be starters. Yep. Like if Pat Connaughton 
was a 20-point-a-night player who could shoot really well reliably from deep and, and handle the ball and be disciplined defensively, he wouldn't be a bench guy. And that's almost always how it goes. I mean, like, you get your exceptions. Like, sometimes the team is really stacked and they have a couple starter-quality guys. It usually does not happen. Like George those Hill. are the guys. Yeah, those are the guys we've already talked about, like George Hill, like Montrez Harrell, who are really effective players who, for some reason or another, are just happen to be on your bench. I think the Bucks have one of those guys in George Hill. I think the rest of their guys are, are good bench guys, which there's nothing wrong with having, but there is something wrong with relying on, on contributions yeah. from them in high-pressure, high-stakes games. It's no way to win. Yeah, you just It doesn't work. You don't see it work in the playoffs. And this was a playoff atmosphere, and guess what? You did not see it work. Yeah, it's not much. It's not really about the players necessarily. It's about how much they, how much role they actually have. Because in big games, you don't want them to have a bigger role. But I don't know. Actually, yeah, specifically for the bench, yeah, no, you don't want them to have a bigger role than what they did. No, I mean they're they're auxiliary pieces. That's mm-hmm. how it has to work. So that's why we're gonna harp on Chris being more involved because. If, if you agree with the, the notion that the Bucks bench cannot be relied upon to be a huge force in high-intensity playoff games, which I think a lot of people will, then you come to the conclusion that, well, where, where are points going to come from? Where is production going to come from? It has to come from somewhere. My The conclusion I'm at is it needs to be, obviously, A1 is Giannis, but you need more. You need Chris Middleton almost right up there, 20-plus points a night, a lot of shots, a lot of creation, a lot of created opportunities, assists, whatever. And you're going to need someone else, too. Uh, George Hill is helpful. Eric Bledsoe, hopefully. If he can exercise his playoff demons, Eric Bledsoe, absolutely. But that's that's the question you need to answer is where is that reliable production going to come from? And you just need to have those guys you can turn to. It's great to have those auxiliary pieces play well, and you want to put them in a good position. But you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you're relying on Dante DiVincenzo or Wes Matthews or... Pat Connaughton or Ursan Ilyasova, night in, night out. Like, that's a bad place to be. The, the Bucks work in the regular season because they can overpower teams with their system who aren't very good. Otherwise, those guys just end up getting great looks because teams are so consumed with Giannis. But when a team comes out with focus and with poise like the Sixers did and takes that takes the Giannis factor out for the large part, the Bucks cannot just put out that bench lineup and go, well, you guys just figured out. Like, it's not going to work enough to be successful and get you in a place where you can win a championship. Mm. Like there was one possession where this all bench lineup was there and they just, they looked so confused. They had no idea what to do. <laughs> like I think George Hill got the ball at like the, uh, where's the left side, left side. No, he was on the right side of the arc and he was just like, he was calling for a screen and like no one, Ursan came, Robin Lopez came. And then like one of them, they both tried to back off because the other person thought they were going to set the screen and it was just a jumbled mess and like nothing happened. I think it was, yeah, I think it ended in like a Ursan missed mid range. So yeah, bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Yeah. It's bad. So I, I, so I'm buying it. Like I think I said before, yeah, but I'm buying it. that you can't rely on the mm. bench to be all that good. Um, do you have anything else from this game? I think, I mean, I guess the, my big takeaway is like, it was bad. The Bucks need to improve some things. There's some worrying trends, but I'm not, I'm not all doom and gloom. This is still a great team. Yeah. I'm not great super worried lose. because like the big things like we covered are like Philly's unsustainable shooting and Giannis's unsustainable, like lack of making bunnies. So I don't know. I'm not too worried. I think if, when these teams play again, it'll be closer. It'll be more competitive. Because like there will be regression to the mean on both sides, 
but there are some flaws that were exposed. Like, if there was one other thing I wanted to say, it was like Dante and Wes really were not effective at all in this game yeah. as starters. No, they weren't. They weren't. Like, they, think, they did nothing. Well, that just goes to what I'm talking about. When, like, if Giannis is going to be taken away and they're not going to go to Chris, you can't just expect Dante DiVincenzo and Wes Matthews to be guys who can break break through that defense. Like, you need to engineer something better than hoping for those guys to just kind of do something good and and snap the bucks out yeah. of the mind. Like, while they missed, like, they didn't make their threes and they're good three-point shooters like Wes and Dante. Like, Wes only took one three. Like, yeah, Dante no, only it, took it was, two threes. You could tell, the, the other thing about this game, you could tell the Bucks were never got comfortable. Maybe in that fourth quarter a little bit, but that was more like desperation. Mm-hmm. They never got comfortable into what they wanted to do, and it seemed like they didn't have, uh, they didn't have, like, a any, they, they, nothing came easy. They didn't seem ready. Game. No, they did not. Okay, I, so, I think that's all I have from this game. Yeah, let's not. So we're, we're, we both still think the Bucks can win a championship, right? Yes, yes, for they sure. They just need to be better, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's fair. And they can be better. They certainly can be, uh, even without making any any fantasy trades like I'm going to keep caping for. <laughs> As we wind down here, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, the Herd split the G League Showcase, did not win the, the first ever grand prize of $100,000, but... Uh, the biggest loss of the showcase was not the first game to the Salt Lake City Stars. It was losing Ray John Tucker for the rest of the season. Uh, not to injury, but Tucker sat out the second game, a nice win over the Memphis Hustle. Uh, everything, Everyone, I think, at the time was pretty suspicious. It turned out he got signed to an NBA team. I was pretty much, I through some, some sources, some league sources, I was pretty much convinced he had, but I didn't know the team and I couldn't for sure report it. But I did share that much just on Twitter that the tidal you know, wave, the tidal wave, if yes you will. But I did share that much on Twitter that I was very confident he was signed, and that's why he didn't play. I I, I had like a wink and a nudge, like yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just like he was like the, the coach Chase Buford, from what I've heard from again, like I said, a, a source didn't just decide not to play him. It was it was to make sure that he was all all good for the call up, didn't get hurt before getting that NBA deal. So he is now a member of the Utah Jazz. And I know Rohan saw, I shared this on Twitter, but here's a couple quick quotes from, from Ray John. We'll just plug him in here in the podcast. So take a listen to his last interview before, well, his last, the last interview I got to do with Ray John before he got called up. This was right after his last game in Oshkosh. Did you expect it to be so easy to score and, and perform this well in the G League? Um, honestly, I always went to bet on myself. Um, I didn't expect it to be this easy, you feel me? Um, but... I definitely expect it to excel. Um, so, yeah, definitely. The showcase coming up. Any thought about an NBA future right now, or just focus, you know, game at a time, team, etc. Uh, game at a time. You know, I'm all about the team right now. These are my guys. You know, I'm gonna go for war with them day in, day out until that time comes. So right now, that's not on my mind. Right now, what's on my mind is winning games with my boys. So I've gotta love that I asked him if he was, if he expected the G League to be this easy, and he basically said yes. But even more so, I feel like you've got to love his team-first mentality. I feel like that is a lot of the reason he probably gets called up. I mean, obviously, a rookie fresh out of the NCAA putting up those kind of numbers is impressive anyway. But I think there's a lot of guys who put up big numbers in the G League. And personally, and I'd love your take on this, Rohan, I think the fact that he was team-first, his team was successful, and he got along really well with that team, I think that says a whole lot. Maybe almost or as much as the scoring outbursts. No, it definitely does. And, like... The players that get called, <clears throat> excuse me, that get called up from the G League, like they're not going to be asked to put like 
they're not going to be number one options on their NBA teams. So you need to have like players who can sort of play within a system, play within a team, be team first, and that's what Tucker was. Uh, so he he's it's perfect for him, great opportunity, and he can still like while he's in the NBA, he can still put up decent numbers if he gets the opportunities that he does. Yeah, and good for him for going to a very good team. Uh, I kind of expected I was like maybe Golden State if they can if they end up signing one of their two ways they could sign him, but no, he gets signed on to a a good Utah team to an NBA contract. So definitely good for him. Congratulations to, to Ray John Tucker. Congratulations to you for scooping Woj. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take the, my first ever Woj scoop. That was exciting as well. But um, obviously Woj getting the, the more detailed and, and solidified info, yeah, but still, matter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take the win. Thank you, Ron. Um, that's all I've got from this one though. So uh, are you ready to hit him with the outro? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, this was a good episode. It was a good, well, it may not have been the result we wanted, for the Christmas Day game. It was still a fun game. There was a fun game that day, actually. Like, there were two fun games. Like, Lakers, Clippers, uh, Pelicans, Nuggets. Uh, but yeah, I hope everyone is having a great holiday season. And I want to thank you for listening to the Eurostep podcast. Uh, if you want to jump in our Discord, where I first actually uh, said the name Tidal Wave as the, as the term <laughs> for Ty's scoops. Uh, send a picture of you listening to Pod uh, to me or Ty, and we'll get you in there. We have a bunch of fun chats. Tell your friends about the about the podcast. Rate and review on your uh, platform of choice. Um, yeah, once again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>